Thanks for listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look into the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, here as always with my great co-host, Jeff Simmons, on this Veterans Day 2021. Hey, Jeff. Good evening, Celeste, and happy Veterans Day. It's wonderful to be with you again. Even though today was a holiday, I am glad to be here with you volunteer position here on WBAI on this news show. Absolutely. So we have a really packed program today. We're going to have three very special guests lined up for today. First, we're going to be joined by two people who will talk to us about this Veterans Day. Always an important moment for us as a nation to take a moment to honor those who have served. But also, as you know, Jeff, this is the first Veterans Day that we're marking in America since the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. Uh, later in the program, we're also going to be joined by the First Lady of the City of New York, Shirley McRae. And she's somebody who has spoken about veterans issues, particularly how important it is to provide support to our city's veterans in the area of mental health care, Jeff. And, you know, as you know, Celeste, because we talked a little while ago, I was in Manhattan today, but I didn't get a chance to head over to the largest veterans celebration in our country as it marched up Fifth Avenue. I wish I had been able to make the 102nd annual parade. But to all of our veterans out there who are listening or family members of veterans, we do wish you the best today. And we thank you for your service or we thank your family members for their service. And I, yeah, I think that's something we're going to be talking about. You know, it's, it's interesting, Jeff. I was reading a piece a little bit earlier. I'm trying to remember the source, if it was in the Times or the Washington Post or something. But it was interesting to note that the population of veterans in the United States is declining. And, you know, that's for a bunch of reasons. That could be because the existing population is getting older, because fewer people are serving in the military. Obviously, we don't have, uh, we don't have a draft situation the way we did. We don't have compulsory military service and so on. But I think that doesn't really take away from the fact that we do have to both honor and appreciate our veterans and also understand that there are a lot of issues facing veterans uh, in the United States and in the city that, that we need to keep talking about, no matter how large the population is. And all good points, you know, and I was curious what our president was doing today to recognize and honor veterans. And if you were listening to WBAI in the last hour, you heard a little about this. So I was very happy to hear that, too, that the Biden administration announced a series of actions today to help veterans who had been exposed to burn pits and other contaminants while serving overseas. Um, you know, just really, you know, a poignant moment when the uh, when the president spoke earlier today, Celeste. Absolutely. And, and maybe that's something that we can talk about right now, because I think we do have our first guest on the line. And we do, as I said, have a very full show today. So we're going to move right along. So born and raised in Flushing, Queens, Joe Bellow enlisted in the U.S. Navy and Naval Reserve. He served 11 years at various commands, including the USS South Carolina and the USS Mullen S. Tisdale. Joe's been very active in the city's veterans community for over 20 years. He's currently a member of the the New York City Veterans Advisory Board, the Bronx Borough President's Veterans Advisory Board, the Queens District Attorney's Veterans Council, and the Intrepid Museum's Council of Veteran Advisors. He also worked on the creation of the New York City Department of Veterans Services. Most recently, he worked at the New York City Council as the Citywide Veterans Director. So, Joe Bellow, thank you for joining us here today on WBAI and for being a listener of this program. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. 
So just to start off, to help people get to know you a little better as, as they're listening with us today, you know, what motivated you to focus so much of your work, your career, around the veteran community after you left the service? You know, what, what kind of needs did you see that weren't necessarily being addressed the way you thought that they should? Well, for me, it was interesting because when I got out in 1995, <clears throat> excuse me, obviously we hadn't, we hadn't got to 9-11. That hadn't happened yet. Uh, and when I got out, it was predominantly World War II veterans and Vietnam veterans. So, you know, I kept asking, well, who's advocating for me? Who's going to be speaking for my generation of veterans, you know, served in somewhat relative peacetime? We've had conflicts, but it wasn't anything major. And that kind of brought me into the, into the veteran space where I had a bunch of mentors, veteran mentors, mostly Vietnam veterans, and uh, I fell in love with it. And I started moving along and helping craft legislation and going to various meetings throughout the boroughs, and, and that's where it all took off. Joe, it's wonderful to have you on the show. And for our listeners, I do want to give you a hat tip because of how religiously you listen to the show and that you make WBAI a part of your life. So thank you so much. I've known you for a number of years, so I know about the work that you've done. But for our listeners, I'd love for you to talk a little more about New York Metro Vets. And, you know, just briefly tell our listeners a little more about New York Metro Vets and how it's evolved over time. Well, um, I will tell you right now, MetroVets has been a little bit defunct because, um, as was said, I uh, was working in the city council as a citywide veterans director. So I I took a break from it for a little bit. I'm kind of starting it up again now. Uh, But it was really Which which is a good thing. Which is a good thing you're doing that now. So that's good. Uh, You know, it it was started really because back back in the day when it was the mayor's office of veterans affairs, um, nobody was putting out any information, any news any kind of what was going on within the five boroughs that was happening legislatively or event-wise. And I felt like we were so disconnected. And so I just thought, you know, look, I'm going to create this Metro Vet, and I'm going to start doing newsletters and try to connect the community and try to bridge the gap in, like, what was what a lot of veterans didn't know what was happening outside of their own communities. And so that's really where Metro Vets really came from. And, and that's how we had connected because I was working at the New York City Controller's Office at the time, and I found your newsletters to be such a vital resource. So we're about to see a change in administration here in the city. And mm-hmm. as you resurrect New York Metro Vets, I'm curious what you're looking forward to, what your hopes are for the administration here, because this is something I'm sure you're going to be keeping tabs on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I have looked when... Um Mayor-elect Adams was looking, you know, when he put out his platform back in May, you know, I looked at it. Uh, I, I thought there's this work to be done. It's a good start. Uh, certainly there are issues that are still left to be done. Uh, one of them I'd like to see definitely for the, the mayor-elect to take over is, you know, we have veteran treatment courts throughout the city, uh, but nothing within family courts. So maybe I'd like to see something along those lines, particularly for uh, single mothers, uh, need that kind of help. Uh, certainly, I am concerned also about um, homelessness. Uh, even though we've driven down homelessness in the city, you know, as you well know, with the moratoriums and everything, it's, uh, you know, I'm a little worried about what that may look like uh, after those moratoriums expire and if we wind up seeing an increase, which we've started to a slight increase. So, I mean, there are a number of issues out there. Uh, I think the mayor can... Uh, 
work on, and you know we'll see what he does. And I certainly, if asked, I will work help work with him. If you're just joining us here on WBAI, we are speaking to Joe Bello. He is a longtime veteran advocate and himself a veteran of the U.S. Navy, U.S. Navy Reserve. Uh, so, Joe, just stay on that for a minute, because I do want to talk about some of those issues. I know that uh, in my own experience in talking to veterans and sometimes in writing about veterans issues, health care, health care generally and mental health care has been a really big issue. And I have frankly heard people say that they are concerned about the level of care and the accessibility of care through the VA and through other programs, uh, you know, over your long time dealing with this, have you seen any improvement or what's the situation that you see there right now on health care and mental health care? Well, let me just say, let me just start off by saying one of the things that I always try to fight against is not all veterans are damaged. Uh, they're, what, I, what I always try to push back on is that this narrative that we all come out of the service and we've all got PTSD or mental health issues. And, and, you know, some of us do, some of us, you know, have gone to war. We experienced that there is PTSD, but we're not all damaged in terms of health, uh, health, mental health itself. It's gotten better over the years. I think the VA has done a better job. Uh, it's being recognized more and more uh, that, you know, the, the cities try to do certain things, I, I, I wish the city would have gone further. Um, you know, the, the first lady has done a good job holding mental health uh, in the public discourse. I just think that when it comes to veterans, there could have been a lot more work. It, it can't be, and this is just for me, it can't be a mission vet check. There has to be other avenues that veterans can turn to for help and resources. And subsequently, what we're seeing is, uh, outside, uh, you know, uh, NYU, uh, other hospitals picking up that that slack as well. So it, it definitely has gotten better, but there is still work to be done. And uh, as we mentioned at the top of the program, this is the first Veterans Day that we're marking uh, in America since U.S. troops left Afghanistan. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. a couple of things on that. You know, one, what what are you hearing from veterans about uh, sort of how they are dealing with with that decision, with the withdrawal? And then also, are you concerned that if we are not actively engaged uh, and on the ground in a situation like uh, Afghanistan, that people will pay less attention to veterans' issues? Well, I think, you know, coming out of the war, uh, I think looking at, you know, those who served in Afghanistan, there certainly is this so going back to the beginning with the number of veterans and it's been decreasing, well, part of the reason why that is is because over the 20 years, veterans consistently did more than one tour of duty overseas in Afghanistan or in Iraq. They served, some, some even went 10 tours. So they were serving over and over and over again, and that's why we don't see a bigger number over the course of 20 years than what we what we would have like for Vietnam or for uh, World War II. So the ones that did serve, you know, the question that I hear most, I hear most is, was it worth it? Uh, did I do good? And there is some sense of there is, there is some moral injury there, uh, especially when we hear about our Afghan allies that uh, the government didn't pull out before the Taliban took over. So, you know, there is some... 
conversations about like uh, what's next, uh, what did we do, what we were supposed to do, could we have done better, how do we get them out of Afghanistan, um, and again, just an overall like sense of questioning, was it worth it? And I think that's kind of what the conversations are being driven around today. So, uh, oh, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. <laughs> I know, I know. We're we're both we're both jumping on you, Joe, to ask you a, a next question. Go ahead, Jeff. That's your fine. turn. So, you know, what's going through my mind recently is, as you know, Joe, I work with a number of nonprofits, including one that assists people uh, with uh, issues involving homelessness. A few years ago, I worked with another organization called Help USA uh, that the uh, chair of the board, if I'm correct, uh, uh, was Maria Cuomo Cole. And the reason I'm bringing this up was because at one of their annual benefits, the lead honoree, the honoree introduced by Andrew Cuomo at that time was Joe Biden, uh, because this was an issue that they acknowledged he cared about deeply. But homelessness among veterans has been a source of concern and shame for the United States for such a long time. Do you think things are getting better, worse, or staying the same in regards to addressing that problem? Well, I think things are getting better. I mean, as like we, as I said, we have had a significant drop of homeless veterans in New York City. But when you ask, when you really dig deep as to why that is, it really because there was a partnership between the federal government and the city, and the federal government put in funding and the city put in the resources to actually work together and address why they were homeless. Why? What led them into homelessness? Was it <clears throat> was it mental health? Was it substance abuse? Was it um, transition issues? I mean, there was a number of issues there. So it certainly has gotten better. Uh, and I think part of the reason, too, which, I'm again, I always kind of, am, and I make this point, is you have to understand, our, particularly here in New York City, the significant portion of our homeless veterans were Vietnam veterans. And they are at an age now where they are passing away, uh, you know, whether it's from Agent Orange or anything else, or they're, they're needing home health. And so those numbers dropped for various reasons. But the, the federal government, when it's in partnership with cities, does a fairly good job. It's just they really have to stay on it. And, you know, again, my concern, going back to what I said earlier, is now that we dropped homelessness by 90%, veteran homelessness by 90% here in the city, uh, and the federal government under the previous administration cut funding to it, what will veteran homelessness look like in a year from now once, like I said, the moratoriums are over and landlords are moving to evict people and things of that nature? So it really is a, a kind of wait and see. But if we can be proactive about it, I think we can we can keep the numbers down. You're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons, and we are talking to veteran and veterans issues advocate Joe Bello. And Joe, you mentioned something earlier about issues with transition, with people coming back, getting back into uh, civilian society and so on. I noticed that one of the things that you have talked about in the past is uh, supporting and recognizing the importance of veteran-owned businesses. Do you see uh, any improvements there? What's going on with that that you've heard? I, I would say that's been one of my biggest disappointments over the last eight years. Um, 
So previous, right before the Bloomberg administration ended, um, the city council created a legislation and the mayor signed into law <clears throat> to do a roadmap report about how the city could better help uh, veteran small-owned businesses. And they gave a list of recommendations. And then Veterans Chair Eric Ulrich held a series of hearings. And subsequently, that really went nowhere. And it's been very minimal between not only the Department of Veteran Services, but the small business uh, services. Uh, you know, they do some trainings now. They do some, like you can register into the pay information system. But they really haven't, like, even done a pilot program that a number of us were a- asking uh, within the WMBEs to try to see, like, look, you know, let's see if some of these veteran small businesses can be helped through city contracts. So that has been somewhat disappointing. Uh, the city has just put out uh, a, a thing called veteran business map where veteran small businesses can put themselves on a map but my thing is that's that's not really getting them contracts that's just basically telling the public where they are and hoping that you the public will go shop there or use their services so i i that's something i certainly would like to see the adams administration work on uh moving forward uh that's 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 kind of where we are with that right now and what's so interesting, Joe, is, you know, I had met back in 2019, I had met Lieutenant Colonel James Hendon through the Queen's Chamber of Commerce shortly before mm-hmm. Mayor de Blasio announced that he'd be replacing Lori Sutton when she was stepping down. Clearly, mm-hmm. uh, at that point, it was to run for mayor. Um, do you feel he's done a good job? And what do you want from what do you want to have or see in the next commissioner that oversees this agency? Well, I, I would say he walked into a very challenging role. Uh, the previous commissioner left a lot of things uh, unfinished. I think that uh, he, like I said, he walked into a very challenging role. And within the first, I want to say, four four months, we were in COVID. Um, I'd say he has tried on some level. I would say on some, it has been disappointment. Uh, the agency and, and I, I, you know, and I recognize with, with everything that went on with COVID, um, there is just a feeling that when the agency needs you in the community, um, they're, they're, they're reaching out to you and doing everything. But when the community needs the agency, it's been very lacking. And so, um, I think what I was saying is we need someone who's going to be a good manager and is going to have to actually reorganize and revamp the agency. Uh, we, we, we've gotten to a point where uh, we have to take a look at some of the programs that the, the agency is currently running and which ones are primary and which ones are secondary. So, you know, I know that uh, you guys are going to talk about the Veterans Voices program. It's a great program, and especially on days like Veterans Day, it's something that should absolutely be talked about and veterans should be telling their stories, especially the World War II veterans and the Korean Vietnam as we're losing them. But it's not a primary program and it's not it doesn't make up for housing. It doesn't make up for mental health. It doesn't make up for a number of other issues. And so I think there really needs to be somewhat of a, a, a reset with the agency and to see what it can do, what it can't do. And uh Make sure that the, it's not even about the funding. I will tell you from being in the city council, the city council is 
increase funding to that agency every year of its existence. So it's really about putting the right personnel in the right places. So something I've said is uh, you have outreach people in the boroughs, and they're meeting, they're the frontline people meeting with, with veterans, meeting with, helping them with housing, helping them with food. You can't put on them having them to do disability claims and other work as well. You need people dedicated to do that. So, again, I think that the next, the Adams administration needs to look at somebody who's going to be a good manager, someone that is going to be proactive, someone that cares about the community and is really going to take a look at DBS to see, like, uh, what it can do and, and last but not least, much more better work with interagencies, with so much more they could be doing with, like, um, DIFTA, with uh, DHS, with, uh, you know, uh, the mayor's office with people with disabilities, uh, just a lot more. There's a lot of work there. Joe Bello, I wish we had more time always, but where can people find out more about you and your work and everything that's going on within the veterans community? Right now, I'm I'm on social media, so if you look for me on Twitter, uh, I'm at I'm at NY Metro Vets, uh, just straight out. Uh, same thing. Um, you can reach me, and I'll just share my email address if you don't mind. My email address is b j o e seven b joe seven at hotmail dot com. And uh, you know, if, if anybody has any questions or wants to follow up anything, I'm I'm always there to help. Okay, thank you, Joe Bell, a veterans advocate and veteran. Thank you for your service, and thank you again, of course, for joining us here today on Driving Forces. Really appreciate it. Thank, thank you so much for having me on. So you've been listening to WBAI New York. Oh, excuse me, WBAI 99.5 FM New York. This is Driving Forces. I'm Jeff Simmons here, as always, with the amazing and stellar and just all-around great person, Celeste Katz-Marston. <laughs> We're talking about Veterans Day today, and in a little while, we'll be joined by the First Lady of New York City, Shirlane McRae, uh, for a look back as the de Blasio administration draws to a close. But just a quick reminder, we're only able to keep these important discussions going with your help. We, we love and enjoy listeners like Joe Bello and you, everyone who's tuning in each week to hear us. Please, please, please take just a few minutes today. Go to WBAI.org. And if you can, give as generously as you can. You can make a one-time contribution or even better, like Celeste and me, you can become a BAI buddy and make a recurring donation that helps keep Free Speech Radio Alive and Well in New York. That is, once again, at WBAI.org. Absolutely. And remember that your contribution is tax deductible. So you can make a contribution in any amount uh, that you choose. You can make a one-time donation or a recurring donation. Again, WBAI.org. Thank you so much for supporting the station. So moving right along with our conversation about Veterans Day, we want to take just a few moments to thank our veterans and to bring attention to their voices, literally, in case you haven't heard of it or, or heard it. It's called the Veteran Voices Project, and it's a special oral history collection that's created to preserve the voices of New York City's veterans through the decades. Volunteers can sign up through the city's Department of Veteran Services to help record the stories of those who served so that they can be explored and remembered by future generations. 
And our next guest is going to tell us a little about that. But first, let's bring you just a little of those voices. This is an interview with Nicholas, and I hope I pronounce this right, Troya Nilello, who served with the Marine Corps in World War II. So let's just take a listen. My name is Jim McDonough, speaking to you as part of the New York City Veteran Voices Project, and we are interviewing Nick Troyanello at his home. Nick is a combat veteran who currently lives in New York City, Staten Island. And Nick, my understanding is you're the, the oldest surviving Staten Island resident who fought in the Battle of Iwo Jima. Is that correct? Uh, I belong to the Marine Corps League here on Staten Island, and I'm the only the, the surviving uh, member of that organization. You know, here you are, 94 years old today, but take me, take us all back in time. Well, it turned 18, you had to sign up for the draft. And yep. before I got called for the draft, I uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps. And they're telling you, okay, now you're going to go overseas. And if there are 10 guys to go overseas, there's only going to be four of you coming back. And I said to myself, am I going to be one of those four? You got off that landing craft and headed onto the beach. But the beach was crowded with uh, vehicles, uh, uh, bodies, and so forth. It was a, a nightmare. It was a nightmare. And now, joining us to talk more about the Veteran Voices Project is Cassandra Alvarez, Associate Commissioner of Policy and Strategic Partnerships for the city's Department of Veteran Services and in her work. She oversees grants and special programs such as the Veteran Voices Project, and she's also worked with NPR's StoryCorps and with nonprofits such as the SS United States Conservancy and the Brooklyn Historical Society. Cassandra Alvarez, welcome to WBAI. Thank you so much for having me today, Jeff. So just quickly, tell us a little more about what you do at the Department of Veteran Services. Yeah, absolutely. So I have the honor and privilege of serving and supporting New York City's amazing veteran community. The core objective of my job is to build capacity and further our agency's reach through strategic partnerships. So there's no question that the boots on the ground in the veteran community are the nonprofits and veteran service organizations that serve so many of our veterans and their families on a daily basis. And my role is to ensure our agency remains connected to those partners so that we learn from them, connect our clients to their services through referrals, and in many cases, help them identify funding or other like-minded partners to help them sustain their operations. You know, relationship management is another huge aspect of my work as well. This is a very tight-knit community, and there's so much talent and support that it's crucial for our agency to take a seat and listen to those who know best. And that, of course, are the actual men and women in uniform. So I ensure we stay connected to them and also the many corporations and other organizations out there that seek to give back to the community. Commissioner Alvarez, thank you so much for joining us here today on Driving Forces. Really appreciate it. And we're hoping that you can just tell us a little bit more about the Veteran Voices Project. How did it start? How did it come about? How many people are involved? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're really excited about this project. We call it VVP for short, Veteran Voices Project. Um, and it's an initiative that shares and archives the stories and experiences of local veterans across the five boroughs. Um, so our goal is to preserve history and to celebrate service. Uh, we started this work because veterans and service members are an integral part of the city's unique identity. New Yorkers have served in every major conflict since the Revolutionary War, in fact. Um, and overall, you know, the average age of our veterans is about 58 years plus. 
uh, with the largest group of vets, uh, you know, aging. And so we wanted to also capture the legacy of this population uh, and share more about their journey and perspective. Um, and also to celebrate the journey and perspective of our post 9-11 veterans as well. You know, we have stories from World War II right through active duty service members who are still in uniform. So um, the project itself actually launched during the height of the pandemic in May 2020. Um, we first used it as a tool to reduce isolation among members of the community, especially those who weren't able to leave their houses. So interviews were conducted uh, fully remotely using recorded video chats and phone calls. Um, and our goal was to make this as easy as possible for our participants. Um, and we wanted them, we wanted the emphasis to really be on the experience and the story itself. So, and like I said, we're very excited about this initiative. And we heard a little bit earlier an interview with a gentleman who served in uh, World War II in the Marine Corps. Uh, do you have any favorite stories, uh, stories that you found really gripping or really unusual or maybe just really emblematic of what it has been like uh, to be somebody from New, York's, uh, from New York City serving in the military? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's two stories that actually stand out to me. One is uh, by Stanley Sherwin. He was a World War II veteran whose story we actually captured just weeks before he passed away. Um, and his daughter first came to us because she signed up to volunteer through the project. And then she said, you know, hey, my father is also a World War II veteran. You know, can we capture his story? And so we did that. And then, you know, a few weeks later, we got a phone call from the family and they said, we're so happy we did this because, you know, Stanley has passed on. And that in and of itself just gave me chills thinking, my gosh, I'm so happy that we captured his story so that we can all learn from his experience, but also remember him. And we did that just in the nick of time. You know, another story that I'd love to point out is from uh, someone who's actually currently serving, uh, Captain Zeta Merchant, who actually serves as the commander for the Port of New York City and New Jersey. Tremendous job that she has overseeing our waterways. We have one of the busiest ports in the country, as you know, and her story is really just one of, you know, climbing the ladder through service um, and really just achieving so much as a woman in that role. So those are two stories that stand out to me um, that have really stayed with me, and I really invite folks to visit our website, nyc.gov slash vets. Uh, you can navigate to the initiatives tab and then click on Veteran Voices Project to hear their stories and others. So you, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM New York. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by Celeste Katz-Marston, and we're talking with Cassandra Alvarez, the Associate Commissioner of Policy and Strategic Partnerships for the City Department of Veterans Services. I know we only have a few minutes left, but what's interesting also is that uh, the website, your website says that speakers of any language are welcome. Do you have any sense of how many languages these stories are recorded in? We've only recorded them in English, um, but we are open to working with anyone who speaks any language. You know, the city has a tremendous, tremendous resource of translators. We also work closely with the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs. So if there is anybody out there who wants to share their story, who is a service member living in New York City or a veteran, we do invite you to contact our office um, and we will absolutely get you linked up with a volunteer who could conduct your interview uh, in your language. 
And in the few moments that we have left here, Commissioner, maybe just tell our listeners a little bit about what exactly they would have to do to get involved, either uh, telling their own story as someone who has served or volunteering to conduct these interviews. Yes, absolutely. Um, so you can go to nyc.gov slash vets, navigate to the initiatives tab, and then click on Veteran Voices Project. Uh, there you'll be able to hear the stories in our archive. Uh, like I mentioned before, um, you'll hear Captain Merchant's story there, as well as World War II veteran Stanley and many others. We've got about 70 to date. Um, and then on that same page, you'll be able to share up uh, to sign up to share your story. Um, or sign up to become a volunteer. So we've got two links there for people who are interested. You could do either or both. Um, and I've got two great colleagues, too, on my team who support this program, Mary Helen Rosales and Alex Fisher, and either would be happy to help you participate. Um, the last thing that I'll share is our phone number. Not everybody uh, jumps online or has access to a computer. So if you are interested in this project, uh, we will find any way to capture your story. Call us at 212-416-5250 because we are very interested in getting uh, all of your stories into the archive and, and contributing more uh, to this amazing resource that we're building. Wonderful. And, Commissioner, if you could just give that number one or two more times in case people need to uh, hop up and uh, grab a pen, that would be great. Of course. So the number is 212-416-5250. That's 212-416-5250, and that's the number to the New York City Department of Veterans Services. Wonderful. Uh, Cassandra Alridge, Associate Commissioner of Policy and Strategic Partnerships for the City Department of Veterans Services. Thank you so much for joining us here today on Driving Forces to talk about the Veteran Voices Project. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and happy Veterans Day. And to you, too. Absolutely. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, and we are here uh, just uh, actually running right on time. Very happy about this. We're having a, a lucky day today. Uh, we're going to, uh, we've been talking about Veterans Day. We are going to keep asking some questions about that, but we're going to broaden the discussion out right now with our next guest. She is somebody who made be familiar to many of our listeners here at WBAI. We're going to be joined right now by the First Lady of the City of New York, Sherlane McRae. During her tenure, the First Lady created Thrive NYC, a major mental health initiative. She's also chaired the Mayor's Fund to Advance New York City, which is part of the city's philanthropic efforts. And she's also been co-chair of the Task Force on Racial Inclusion and Equity, which focuses on justice in the city's recovery from COVID-19. Finally, she's also co-chaired the Commission on Gender Equity, and she leads the New York City Unity Project, which focuses on LGBTQIA youth. She's a graduate of Wellesley College. First Lady Shirley McRae, welcome to Driving Forces. A pleasure to have you here on the program today. I'm delighted to join you. So maybe just a, an easy question to start. So how, how was it being First Lady? You are uh, coming up to the end of your, your tenure here. How, how did that go? Whoa. How, how long do you have? <laughs> as long as you need. It's a wild ride. I have many stories, and I, I'm going to spend the rest of my life um, reminiscing and, and processing everything that has happened because the pace is so fast, and there's so many people and places. There's, there's really nothing like this experience. 
So, uh, Shirley, oh, First Lady, excuse me. Uh, it's great to have you back on WBAI today. I feel like I, I should say First Lady. I you know, trip and say, Charlene, because we had worked together at, at one point in our careers. Um, you know, when you think about, you, when you think about, you know, it's only a few weeks, you know, what, what will you look back on as, as your biggest accomplishment? What, you know, what are you most proud of? Well, without question, I'm most proud of the progress that we've made on mental health. When we started this administration in 2014, there was no public conversation about mental health at all, which touches every family, every individual, and every area of, of work, every area of life, I should say. Um, and I, I, that was actually very bewildering to me and, and shocking that, that here was a topic that's part of the human condition, but people weren't talking about it. Um, or if they did, it was in whispers, and, you know, or in, in rooms behind closed doors. But it was such a, a topic of shame and something that people felt that they had to hide. So the progress that we have made, I could not be more proud of. Not only are we having more public discussions, but we've increased services, we've expanded existing services, and literally hundreds of thousands of people are being served who, who weren't getting the attention that they needed before. And when I say mental health, I'm also I'm referring to, you know, the whole spectrum, people with uh, mild anxiety to uh, serious mental illness, whether it's schizophrenia, bipolar condition, and also substance use disorders as well, uh, which there's still a huge stigma around. Um, people weren't getting the help they need, and, and now they are. Now there, there are places for people to turn. We've got a 24-7 helpline where people can actually get connected to care. We have a website, Mental Health for All, um, and we have services in so many more communities than we had before. So I, 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 could, talk, I could talk forever on this topic because it's... Um, it really means it means a lot to me personally, and I th I think that people are understanding that mental health services have to be embedded everywhere. That it's not the province of of one department or agency, um, and and that was really hard to get across to people. Right? You couldn't just have um, you know a standalone building and like that's where people who are having um, distress should go. No, it has. You really have to have services in the workplace. You have to have services in the community. You got to have services. Um, you got to have people go door to door sometimes with with our veterans. That's that's what we found we had to do. Actually, get people to go to their door and talk with them about what they're going through, because of this the stigma. Because you know it's uh, it's hard for someone who is you know, trained to fight, trained to be um, a warrior to, to say that they, they might need help. So we have, we've had to find so many different ways to reach people. And, and, and again, I, I'm really proud of, of what we've done. 
We're speaking to the First Lady of the City of New York, Shirlane McRae, here on Driving Forces. And First Lady, just want to stay on this issue because it has been such an important part of of your tenure and your work. Uh, you know, there are some people who have applauded you. I think even one of our guests earlier in the program spoke about uh, the work that you've done uh, in terms of getting people more access to mental health. But of course, there are always going to be some critics. Um, one of the initiatives that you rolled out uh, called for some heightened mental health screenings for kids in schools and not everybody agreed with that so I'm just wondering you know looking back how did you feel about some of the criticism I think that came from teachers including from teachers who said that some of these screenings were too subjective and too complicated and didn't really agree with the direction that you wanted to go on that well uh, you know I actually haven't heard that criticism so I'm going to be very curious to find out more but I can tell you that the screening is a strength based screening so we're not looking to label children. We're not looking to, um, you know, discredit them in any way. This is about where are they strong? What areas are they strong in? Self-awareness, confidence, ability to follow through on tasks. Our children, like everyone else, have been through so much during this pandemic. And, and now that we have all these services available, we want to make sure that we're connecting um, those young people who who are exhibiting symptoms of greater distress are actually connected to uh, the help that they need. We know it's not most of our young people. It's you know probably you know less than you know 15, 15, 20 percent. Certainly less than that. But if if it's not if the distress that they're going through is not identified early then it can lead to more serious problems. And no one wants that. No family wants their child to be at risk um, for not being able to learn in the classroom properly, for behavioral um, uh, upsets in the classroom, or a, a more serious uh, mental illness. Why would anyone want their child to be at risk for that? These, this screening is really, um, again, it's strength-based. It's, it's uh, a conversation so that teachers and school staff can look and see where a child might be having um, areas where they need improvement and, and, and actually get the kind of attention they need, whether it's in decision-making or following through on, on tasks or, or any other area that affects their learning and their behavior. And we're talking. And we're talking about children. I'm also thinking about what many of our seniors in the city have gone through. And earlier in the show, we, we've been talking about veterans because this is Veterans Day. And, you know, my sense is from a number of the seniors who I know who are veterans, uh, but seniors even more broadly, that during COVID-19, while people have self-quarantined and socially distanced, there's been a lot of isolation, which has caused mental health concerns to fester. How do you feel the city has handled uh, mental health services, uh, pr- service provision for uh, our older residents of the city and in particular for veterans? Oh, well, I, I can tell you that um, nearly all of our programs continued through the pandemic. And thank goodness we actually had programs to continue. Because if we hadn't, I think that the fallout would have been much worse than, than it is. Uh, we launched social-emotional learning in our classrooms in 2019. That was way, be, you know, way before the pandemic began. And, and so 
um, teachers were able to, so teachers had tools uh, to interact with their students and to, to help them, you know, manage their emotions, handle stress effectively, and uh, the same with our seniors. Um, it's, it was much harder for our seniors because um, not having, not being able to go out uh, made a big difference in their lives. But we have, we do have volunteers, um, volunteers who would call in and check on them, have conversations, um, provide some of them with uh, devices so that they could be in touch with their friends and family uh, online. And I think that makes a big difference. Of course, we're, um, we had a big outreach effort making sure that our seniors had food and there were coordinated efforts with our, our houses of worship as well. So all of those, those factors, all of those um, ways of, of reaching people were carried on throughout the pandemic. And I do think it made a, a big difference and, and making sure that our, our seniors and our veterans um, were able to, to get through it. And First Lady Shirlene McRae, I know we have other topics that we really want to ask you about in the time that we have here, but just one more issue on mental health. Looking ahead, what do you hope is going to be addressed and how during uh, the next administration? Because I think uh, during the pandemic and and maybe over the last year or two, uh, increasingly visible, we have had uh, instances of people with uh, perhaps mental health issues or emotional disturbances uh, involved in uh, violent crimes or harassment, some of those, mm-hmm. uh, as you know, uh, directed at uh, Asian Americans, uh, you know, in, in mm-hmm. our streets, in the subways. Yes. What can you say about that situation, uh, which, frankly, was an issue in the, the current or the, the recent, I should say, uh, mayoral campaign? Uh, and what do yes. you think should be done about that? Well, it's, you know, it, these are situations are symptoms of... of um, well, it's, it's just the fact that people did not get care early on, right? People do not uh, develop a mental illness that leads to violence overnight. There, mm-hmm. there are always signs and symptoms early on in that person's life. Um, and clearly, these are people who did not get the attention that they needed early on. So in the future, I'm, I'm just hope the education continues in our schools, um, everywhere uh, with our faith leaders, with leadership throughout government, that people understand uh, the signs and symptoms of mental illness and drug use, uh, drug uh, use, I'm sorry, drug abuse disorders, and so that they get people the care they need. And the earlier, the better. When people are left to manage on their own and they're not well, guess what? They don't manage very well. Um, so... It's going to be in our best interest as citizens of this city that you know everyone understands like what to do when when um, you see somebody who's in, in distress. We need everyone to just like we have we have mobile vans. We have you know so many ways of, of alerting um, people that 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 someone is in distress. But we got we need people to actually act on it. And we need our, you know, and again, we need to make sure that our, our children are getting attention that they need early on as well. 
So, First Lady, you know, I'm looking back to when we had you on the show a while ago, and it was, you know, the timing was coincidental. We had booked you on the show, and it turned out to be the same day that your husband was announcing that he was running for president. I was very happy that we were able to have you on the show at that time. So how about making some news today? Does your husband plan to run for governor? <laughs> I know he's looking at it. I, I, I'm not here to make news tonight. Um, I hope if he decides to do that, he lets me know first. <laughs> um, do you want and, and I of know that whatever... Whatever, do you want him to run? Do you think does, he, he should remain in public life? Whatever he does and whatever I do, we, you know, we look forward to supporting the next mayor, to um, doing whatever we can to be of, of service. So, you know, public service is very, has always been part of our lives and will very much be, will be part of our lives going forward. So since since you mentioned it, that's a convenient segue for me. I, what are you looking at in terms of your next step, uh, including possibly a public service elected office? I think there was some discussion at some point about Brooklyn Borough President, but where are you on that right now? Well, I, I decided not to move in that direction. I, I do want to continue uh, my work in mental health uh, and um, exploring exploring the possibilities. I also and, look forward to supporting the next mayor because I think that, you know, the work here is not done. It has to be deepened. It has to be built on. I mean, we need full implementation of, of universal mental health care and, and uh, our public schools, and we need to continue our work with uh, mental health first responder teams. Uh, there's so much more to do. And, I, I you know, like I... I do whatever I can to be supportive of, of the next mayor and the work that he does. And in terms of your next step, so you, you, uh, you and your husband, your family, planning to go back to your your home in in uh, Park Slope? Is that right? Uh, settle back That's into right. your. And yeah. I, I know just uh, we have other questions for you, but just for a moment, I uh, just wanted to give you an opportunity to address some of the, the questions that have come up about about that home in Park Slope, particularly the, the family doing some renovations, uh, potentially uh, taking on some some uh, some debt in in that regard. Uh, anything that you want to talk about in terms of the questions about uh, your home in Brooklyn and how you made the decisions about uh, moving forward with uh, with that home? Well, I don't. I don't really know what the questions are. I mean, our house obviously needed some work done. It's 120 years old, and I think everyone's heard the tale of the bathroom on the third floor being only bathroom. It's a small house, and um, it was built for for workers. Um, it's a row house, and to be made structurally sound required a renovation, and that's what we're doing. Um, I'm I'm sorry it took so long, actually, but (laughs) I think we made the best of it, and I'm looking forward to um, I'm looking forward to it being done. And First Lady, I know we only have about a minute or so left, you know, and I want to end with a very easy question, but you know, it, you know, who knows? You might make some news here. What is the first thing you and your husband plan to do after you leave office? And don't say go to Disneyland. That's not the answer. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go someplace warm and sit on a beach. 
Uh, that's what I would love to do as well. Celeste, any other any other thoughts as we let the first lady go in a moment? Yeah, I know we we just have a moment here, but uh, do you have any uh, advice for your successors uh, having experienced living as a first lady, uh, being in very much in the public eye? Anything that uh, you can advise for how to how to make it work and uh, you know sort of uh, engage in some sort of self care while you do that. Well, you just answered it. It's self-care. Um, that has to come first. Um, I hope he, and I know he's very attentive to this, but he's got to eat right, exercise. But he really takes care of himself. When you have a, such a big responsibility, um, there's no way that you can tend to all that, um, all that one has to do without taking care of oneself first. So I hope he does that. So thank you so much, First Lady Shirlane McRae. Anything else that uh, you want people to know out there as you are looking back at your tenure? Maybe anything that they uh, don't know about you uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners here at WPAI? Oh, I just want everyone to remember the phone number, one eight 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 nyc well If they, they are going through anything that they feel they can't handle on their own, it's you feel like they can't function, remember that we have a 24-7 helpline that is free. And anyone can talk confidentially to a trained counselor if they call that number. one and we see well. Great. So thank you, uh, First Lady Shirlane McRae. Really appreciate you joining us here today to talk about your uh, your time here. Uh, and uh, we hope to have you back on the program uh, another time and uh, keep in touch with you and uh, keep us posted on everything that you're up to. Uh, thank you, Celeste. Thank you, Jeff. It's always nice talking with you. Thanks again. So that is going to bring us pretty much to the end of today's program. We're glad to have spent uh, just a little of this Veterans Day here with you. Uh, Jeff, what's on deck for City Watch on Sunday? So I will be in the anchor chair. I'll be hosting City Watch this Sunday at 10 in the morning. It's a very, very special uh, episode here on WBAI. I'm brimming with excitement about this one, Celeste. I've got multiple Tony and Emmy-nominated actor Tova Feldshu, and you might know her from Yentl, you might know her from The Walking Dead or Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and also, get this, Dr. Ruth Westheimer. And the reason I have them both on is because Tova is about to step on stage to play Dr. Ruth at the Museum of Jewish Heritage in December. And this is why it's also so special. If you tune in, listeners who will donate to WBAI during that show, so that's why you got to tune in to 10 a.m., you can basically get, you can get Tova's memoir, Lilyville. And you also have the chance by donating to BAI to get to see tickets to see the show Becoming Dr. Ruth in December. It's going to be a great show, 10 a.m. on Sunday, Celeste. Wonderful. Definitely everybody tune in and check out those tickets. Just another reminder, of course, that your contribution to keep free speech radio alive here on WBAI is tax deductible. You can also opt for one of our awesome premiums like the things that Jeff just talked about. Go to WBAI.org today to give. That's WBAI.org. So thanks to today's guests, Joe Bello, Cassandra Alvarez, and First Lady Shirlane McRae. Thanks for Engineer Reggie and to you, our listeners. And today I'd like to give extra special thanks on Veterans Day to those who have served in the armed forces, including Greg, Julia, Stephen, and many, many others. But of course, my number one favorite veteran of them all. Happy Veterans Day, Pop.
If you missed any part of the show, you can listen to it in full by subscribing to Driving Forces via Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Or you can check out the archive section of WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons, and this has been Driving Forces. We'll be back with you soon. Coming up, stay tuned to WBAI for the evening news. See you on the radio.